Episode 244, Josh Cunningham, CEO of Rockerbox. A champion isn't somebody who just does everything perfectly the first time around, but a champion is someone who learns from their mistakes and they learn from other people's mistakes. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Josh, his company, his podcast, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraben.com slash mistake. 244. As always, thanks for taking time to listen. And now on with the show. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Josh Cunningham, the CEO and founder of Rockerbox. They are an inside sales assistant company based in College Station, Texas. After starting Rockerbox in 2013, Josh's real estate company has worked over 3 million internet leads for teams all across the country. He's focused on developing a company culture that attracts the best millennial talent and drives success. So I'm looking forward to um, talking uh, with him about that later here. So his expertise was showcased through Rockerbox's award-winning culture, which inspired him to then become founder and CEO of Five Star Company Culture. Josh is the host of a podcast by that same name. Thank you, Josh, for having me as a guest previously on that show. I'm happy you're my guest here today. How are you? Yeah, certainly. Thanks so much, Mark. Glad to uh, return the favor. It's always great getting on uh, Zoom and jamming out with you and talking business and entrepreneurship and you know all that good stuff that helps people grow their lives and achieve more freedom. Yeah. So I get to turn the tables on you, on you today and ask the questions. We'll have a good conversation, though, about what you're doing at Rockerbox and, and beyond. So before we uh, come back to that, I'm not going to let you off the hook. You know, the question we always ask, get things started here, Josh. What would you say is your favorite mistake? Yeah, I love the the whole concept of the show here because, you know, as uh, as champions and as business leaders, you know, uh, one of our core values here at Rockerbox is we possess the mindset of a champion. And I always explain to people that a champion isn't somebody who just does everything perfectly the first time around, but a champion is someone who learns from their mistakes and they learn from other people's mistakes. You know, they fall down seven times, but they get back up eight. And, uh, and they help pick up those around them. So, you know, I've always been a fan of, you know, you either have a win or a lesson. And, uh, you know, I was preparing for this uh, interview and just kind of reflecting back on some of the things, uh, some of the tools for success in our business that we have now that, um, you know, there's some things that just intuitively we create and it's a really great um, you know, process or, or system or culture tool, as I like to say. But a lot of the stuff that we have that's really you know, a, a, a pivotal or important aspect of our business came from exactly that. It was a mistake that we made. It was something that we messed up and we had some reflection and we had to think, well, what can we, how can we do this better and make sure this never happens? So probably one of the most important tools in our business came from a mistake that happened. And uh, it actually comes back from uh, the summer of 2015. We were um, back in those days, The we had just kind of taken our, we started the business in 2013, spent the first couple of years just kind of really learning what, what would make our clients successful. And in the summer of 2015, business just started taking off. It just started soaring 
and spreading like wildfire. It was, you know, like a, like a rocket ship just taken off to, to new heights. I'm sure many of you can relate to those fun and exciting points in, uh, in your business growth and development. And, you know, we hired students from Texas A&M to do the calls for us. We're, we're an inside sales assistant solution for real estate professionals all across the country. And our talent pool is students from Texas A&M. So over the summer, we're recruiting all these callers. We're bringing them in. They're joining our fun and competitive work environment. They're smiling and dialing, you know, highlighting all these warm opportunities on behalf of our clients. And uh, it was a really great and fun and exciting environment to be a part of. And uh, one day... Uh, in September, happened here in Aggieland, happens every year here in College Station, Texas. I'm wondering if you can imagine what this is. Happens every fall in College Station, Texas, was the school semester started, right? I don't know why, but it caught me off guard that year for some reason. <laughs> and, you know, everybody always has more obligations. They've got other priorities. They, they've got, you know, their extracurriculars, the, the, their, their false school workload picks up. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're aware of it, but here in Texas, uh, football is actually a religion. And so, you know, all the students, they want to go to the football games and, and, and go hang out with their friends on the weekends. So, you know, I was absolutely shocked that that September you know, because of all of our team members have these things that they prioritized over this part-time job, 40%, 40% of our team, mm -hmm. poof, disappeared ah. just like that. And we were just totally shocked, man. We were just devastated. You know, I mean, what, what had we done to make this happen? You know, poor, poor little me. And, you know, I was just absolutely devastated and, you know, looking for fingers to point, somebody to blame. And then one morning I found him right there in the mirror, looking right back at me. And, uh, you know, I realized that this was my failure as their leader to communicate to them that this wasn't just some other part-time job, that this was the, the first step in their young professional career that was going to set them apart from their peers, that was going to help them get whatever job they wanted to once they walked the stage because of the skills and the experiences that they were building here. So again, as the leader, I failed to communicate that to them. I failed to paint that picture. And, um, you know, the, again, the, the, the stuff that we're learning here on a day to day out basis, you know, scripts and dialogues and objection handlers and CRM management, and it's, it's the entry level to every sales position. So you master that fundamental, it's going to open up the gates of opportunity for you. And so what we did to sort of fix this problem, we, I, I you know, researched and, 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 was seeking out answers and, and just begin to search for solutions. And I finally found it, the ultimate secret sauce, the ultimate key to our success, you know, that, that magic genie in the bottle. And what it was, was a daily huddle. That's what we decided to implement to our business. And so it's something that happens now every single day in our business, three times a day, because our, our shifts are shorter in length. They're only four hours in length. And every single shift begins with this huddle. And the concept, the idea behind it is that this gives us that opportunity to pause and to separate the stuff they have going on outside of work, you know, their school life, their social life, their relationships, you know, with their parents and their family and their friends and their siblings, and to take the time to huddle up, just like the football team does, you know, every Saturday in between every single play. They're very familiar with that. And so we created this daily huddle where it gave us a time to connect with one another, to recognize each other for our achievements, to set our goals for the day and for the shift and make sure that we're all on the same page, that we can break that huddle and go out to battle together. And, uh, you know, every quarter we always do employee surveys to get feedback on what we're doing well and what we can improve. And 
consistently year after year, quarter after quarter, this is always one of their favorite rituals that they get to be a part of is that daily huddle. So the mistake was made. We weren't communicating. We weren't making it clear that this work was meaningful and important and was going to be fruitful to them in the future. And so through our daily huddle, we were able to communicate that every single day at the beginning of each shift. Wow. Well, I love that story, Josh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, one, it you know, illustrates a lot of the things you know, we try to celebrate here on the podcast and in my book is the learning and the growth and leaders taking responsibility and figuring out what do we do you know, about it. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, how, how long did it take before you realized, okay, look, looking in the mirror, that was the, the source of it. I mean, it was a matter of like wanting to blame others, but, or, 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 or I mean, did, did you go through some of that and get any pushback or were you, was it a matter of thinking it over and then realizing, okay, Hey, this is on me as a founder and CEO. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, when when you as the as the visionary as the the leader of the organization not only is it up to you to create that vision but it's up to you to communicate and articulate it so i saw that this is the best part-time job for a college student on the planet you know this is the job that i wish that i would have had mm. right if 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 yeah. only i had a job like this i would be building these skills and mastering these fundamentals and 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 opening up all these doors once i graduated so i could see it in my head right but once I realized that not everybody else got it and not everybody else was on the same page as me, you know, when you think everybody else is wrong, but you, maybe you need to <laughs> take a good, long, hard look in the mirror, you know, why is not everybody else understanding what I understand? Okay, well, what are the steps that you took to really paint the picture, to create the vision and to communicate it to your team? I mean, most, most issues in business and relationships, finance come down to communication. It's just a breakdown in communication. And so, again, I had the vision. I could see why it made sense for them to stick it out through the fall semester and to stay working at the business. And the business was growing rapidly. And we had lots of uh, opportunity for advancement for people to move up in the organization and to begin to uh, step into leadership positions and start mastering leadership skills. And so, again, I knew all that, but I was failing to communicate it. And so when I was in search for a way to communicate that and make that, you know, paint that picture clear, prior to our huddle, everybody would just kind of show up, clock in and go to work and then clock out and go home. And then the next shift would just show up, clock in and go to work. And so there was never that time to really truly paint the picture of like, let's take a moment and recognize what we did yesterday and let's applaud each other and let's uh, you know lift each other up and let's take a moment and talk about what we have going on today and what our, what our craft is, what our skill is and focus on something to make ourselves a better version of ourselves, right? Instead of just showing up and doing the work and leaving, what, what do we want to focus on today to, to really hone in on and sharpen a tool in our tool belt? And so we would take a piece of the script or we'd take an objection handler or we would take, you know, um, something that was that, that we're doing a processor system and we would, we would elaborate it and focus on it and role play it with each other. Uh, and then, you know, the, the whole element of uh, the connection phase of our huddle is all about you know, building that camaraderie, building that connection within our team, because we had, you know, we're open 80 hours a week and our employees work four hour shifts. So we have a lot of different people coming and going throughout the day, throughout the week. So providing them a time to pause and connect with one another and get to know each other. And so we, we, we do that through just a, a conversation starter, uh, like an icebreaker, you know, hey, well, who's your favorite superhero when you were a kid? And it gives people those opportunities to learn a little bit more about their coworkers uh, you know, about some, you know, thought provoking question that they might not normally ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then the last step of our huddle is the, is the motivation, which is, 
okay, what, what are your goals for the shift? You know, what do you want to accomplish today? What is it that you're working on that you want to improve so that we can help hold you accountable as a team, as, as your peers? And so just through that four-step process, it's the recognition, it's the education, it's the connection and the motivation. And then just a nice, good, ready break. You know, we have a lot of different shouts and cheers and rah, rah, rahs. Uh, and then we go out and do our work. And just that, that, that five to 10 minute pause before we all go out, it creates so much more meaning in the work that we're about to do and, and seeing that this isn't just us calling a bunch of internet leads all day, every day, but this is a vehicle to make us a better version of ourselves and to open up more doors in the op- uh, of opportunity in the future. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for telling us about that. You, you uh, proactively answered a couple of questions I was going to ask you, <laughs> Josh. Yeah. yeah. How long are these huddles and is there a standard agenda? Cause companies I've seen, uh, including healthcare organizations. Um, yeah, they've, they're short, they're tight, they're they're fairly structured. So it's not just kind of an aimless, let's get together and look at each other and what are we going to do? Like they they they've got to be pretty snappy, right? Yeah. There's yeah. work to be done, but there's an important function of making sure you make the most of the huddle. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And like I say, it's about five to 10 minutes, depending on how many people are in it. You know, some of our shifts have more staff than others, but the things that can, that can make it go lean one way or the other, as far as shorter or longer, you know, the recognition, um, you know, there's always score, score carded numbers that you should be tracking as a business KPIs. And so it's, it's very simple to focus on two or three different numbers and just simply report those. But the best form of recognition that we have comes from our core value recognition, and so that's how we actually start the huddle. We say, okay, you know, welcome to the AM, the PM, the mid shift today. Let's start off with some recognition for living by the core values. I want to go ahead and recognize Mark because, you know, he possessed the mindset of a champion. You know, yesterday he came in uh, from class. It was raining. You know, he had to ride his bike here through the rain and he showed up drenched, soaking wet. And he put on his headset and he just jammed out and and put up a ton of opportunities, you know. Way to go, Mark, for possessing the mindset of a champion. And so that is great because it helps our core values come to life and, and, and shows that they exist and that they're living and breathing. And so depending on how many people are in the huddle and how many people are living by those values, that can be a little bit longer, shorter than just the reporting of the you know two or three important KPIs. Uh, and then the education portion, again, that's practicing of a skill. So what we actually do is we take a calendar and we look at all the different pieces of our skill of our craft and at the beginning of the month we kind of create that calendar so we know okay what what's just a couple minute we're just going to take this one line of the script or we're just going to do this one objection handler and let's just practice that so that's really easy to keep short and confined uh and then the next one is that connection and like i said we use sort of like an icebreaker connection card and that sometimes, as you can imagine, people start sharing stories about their childhood or their goals or dreams for the future. That sometimes can you know, take a little bit longer time, depending on how elaborate people are being. And so we got to always make sure we're reeling it in and keeping uh, an awareness of the time. And then the last piece, the motivation is, is really simple. I mean, we're, we're walking around, it's boom, 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 boom. You know, how many uh, opportunities do you want to de- identify how many live transfers do you want to get? And that information just gets written up on a whiteboard. So that's, you know, a couple of seconds. Uh, and, and then we're just setting those goals for the shift and breaking the huddle. So, you know, five, 10 minutes is really all you need, but it's the consistency that's important, you know, is, is, is making sure that you give people that opportunity to separate what's going on outside of work. Mm-hmm. And then now here we go, we're getting ready to work and let's all make sure that we're on the same team. We're on the same boat rowing in the same direction. Yeah. So you had, you know, this uh, 
exodus or you know of, of employees fall of 2015. That was right after like Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football. Yep. Oh yeah, had, had yeah. Left for the NFL, like the stadium <laughs> had been expanded or was being expanded. Exactly, this was kind of a particular uh, recent high point for Texas A and M and the ag Certainly. football program. Oh, we get them about once a decade. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, what was the effect then in in the fall of 2016? Um, you know, you had these huddles in place. You were not assuming that employees mm -hmm. shared this um, understanding of uh, what they were building skill wise. It wasn't just a, uh, a job. Um, what, what, what was the effect, you know, in 2016 and beyond? Yeah. So there were a couple more lessons, you know, hidden into that, uh, um, that exodus that we had, which was making sure that uh, in our hiring process, you know, when we're hiring people, cause we're, we're always hiring. We always have people graduating and leaving the organization. We always fill in their, fill in their void but we always make sure that once we start hiring around the end of the spring semester, there's a lot of students out there just looking for a summer job. So we do a little bit more thorough analysis of their resume. And if I see that the last three jobs you had started in May of last year and ended in August, and then the next job you had started in May and ended in yeah, August and the next right. one you had started in May. Okay. Are you looking for a summer job? And so we've added a little bit more, you know, questioning in our uh, interview to make sure that this person has had the experience of working during the school semester. Um, so that's, you know, just another little layer of selection through our interview process. Uh, and then also just being aware of the, the extracurriculars that people are involved in, um, the commitments that they have outside of, uh, of work with school. And so we've learned to be more flexible with some people so that rather than them working all summer and then just anticipating that they can't do both, and just quitting, you know, instead we've had that conversation way earlier about, okay, your fall workload's going to be a little bit larger. Are you okay with moving your hours down from our average employee work 16 to 20 hours a week? Are you okay in maybe working, you know, 12 to 16 instead of 16 to 20? And so we start, you know, setting the expectations and, and, and uh, negotiating with people, um, you know, people that have been with the organization for a while. So uh, if it's if it's really good talent, we want to hold on to them. And they've been with us for a year or so. And they're like, hey, man, next next semester, I start my upper level classes or I'm going to I just got elected president of this organization. You know, I've, I've got some more duties and some more responsibilities. We start have we'd be much more proactive about having that conversation versus just sitting back and waiting for everybody to be overwhelmed. So we do regular one-on-ones with our team. Um, and we have like a, a certain cadence, you know, of like 15 day, 30 day, 60 day, 90 day. Uh, and in each of those conversations, we're asking about, you know, what's their, um, their skill level with the work, you know, which is obviously important. And, um, you know, where, where can they use some help? work-related, you know, a lot of work-related questions, but then the last 20% of the one-on-one -on -one is all about their personal life. Hey, how's everything going at home? How's everything going at school? And so that way we're just, we're always proactively having those conversations with people so that they don't wind up, you know, having a tough time in classes and then they're turning in their two weeks notice. Uh, instead, we proactively have those conversations and we've had many times where students are like, man, this semester is tearing me up. Okay, great. Well, can we cut back your hours and give you some more study time and you can get your grades back up to where they need to be? So that way we don't have to end this relationship uh, abruptly. And so it's just about being a little bit more proactive about those types of things. So 
So the huddle is still in place. It still gives meaning and purpose behind the work that we do on a day in day out basis. But, uh, but, you know, some of the other lessons behind that is just the, the, the talent selection and then the, the talent retention pieces yeah. that we've adopted some of the conversations that we've had. Well, thank you for sharing those reflections and, and lessons learned. Um, really appreciate that, Josh. Now, yeah. um, you know, as the company has been around for uh, 10 years now, you mm-hmm. know, your bio, it talks about appealing to millennials and the kind of workplace uh-huh. culture they might want. Now you're, you're, you're hiring Gen Z. Gen Z. Like, are that's, you, are you seeing differences or is kind of, are, are, are students of, of those ages still pretty similar? Have you had to adjust? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. There's 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 no way around it. You know, our talent pool is our students from Texas A&M, and uh, so yeah, when we first started the business, we were hiring millennials, and now it's it's Gen Z. And uh, you know, the thing that I always talk about when it comes to people, uh, you know, stereotyping uh, generational talent is that you know, no no two people are exactly the same. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a suburb of Houston that I was a little bit more on the outskirts. And our rival high school that was literally three miles down the road thought we rode horses to school. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter how close in proximity you are to other people and and, and in age, uh, geographic, you know, race, religion, all the different categories of categorizing people. It doesn't matter how close you are to someone. People are still very much different. So, yes, there are some generational trends that we do notice. Um you know, between when we first started and and now, but, you know, one of the things I always talk about when people want to subscribe to and buy into some of those uh, frustrations with a generation, all of everybody is exactly the same. Well, anytime you're speaking in absolutes, you're, you're definitely can't be telling 100% of the <laughs> right. truth. And so um, as an organization, it's still our goal to attract and retain talent that uh, live in congruent with, or live in congruence with our core values. And so again, we have your talent nowadays that live by our same five values that did 10 years ago. And so, um, you know, there are some, some general differences in like where their attention is, right? Like a lot of people are a, a lot more social uh, media uh, minded and the attention spans are a little bit shorter. And the, um, you know, the content that we create is much more short form now than it was long form in the past. And so we've used some of those things to adjust our recruiting efforts, our content creation. We've even adjusted some of the contests that we have in the office because we're like, well, hey, if everybody's you know attention span is shorter, let's not have a month long competition. Let's have a week long competition, you know, uh, or let's not have a week long competition. Let's have a shift by shift competition. So it's just some of those things of being aware of the environment that people grew up in. But um, I mean, there's still people that are just rock solid that live by our core values, that are magnetically attracted to our organization, that want to stick around and um, and you know pursue all the opportunities that come with learning how to do the tough work that we do. Because that's that's really where our, our whole business came into concept was doing the work that other people didn't want to do. You know, realtors were generating tons of leads and they weren't doing a good job of following up with it. And so we found a problem, we figured out how to solve it, and we found a really good pool of talent to um, to train on how to do that. So. Yes, there are some generational trends, but it's it's not anything that you should subscribe to to become a victim of what your your stereotype is uh, pro- projected upon them. And uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna look for you're gonna find what you're looking for, right? So if you're gonna if you want to tell yourself all Gen Z people are lazy and they <laughs> just want to hang out on TikTok all day long and blah 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 blah, blah <laughs> guess what you're gonna I, find? You know sure. you're gonna confirmation find confirmation bias. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, the older generations always 
want to throw stones at the younger generations. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm Gen X mm-hmm. you know, of the stereotype of, you know, there was the movie Slacker. And so like, oh, Gen X, bunch of slackers and uh, mm-hmm. latchkey kids. And you, I mean, you can generalize. <laughs> but whenever I hear like generalizations of like, well, you know, the younger generation now wants a sense of purpose and they want to connect their work to that. And I'm like, I think everybody I think does. That, I think, well, yeah. I mean, and, and I think it's, I, I think that's existed. And I think it exists more in the current youngest generation because it hasn't been drummed out of them yet. Yep. 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 Yeah. I think uh, one of the funny uh, realizations that I had was a- another important culture tool in our business is um, having masterminds. And before I started my business, I was in the real estate world working for a marketing firm. Go, traveling the country, going to all these different masterminds. So I was exposed to the idea of getting together with a bunch of like-minded individuals and talking about your problems and how you can solve them and using that whole, you know, the power of the group, the power of the mastermind to move the group to new heights. So when I started my business and I first started hiring my first handful of employees, I'm like, okay, we're trying to solve one problem here. But I bet if I have five employees, we can come up with five different ways to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So rather well, than have all this inconsistency in our business, let's let's make sure that we start creating some best practices and some some SOPs and some policies and procedures. So I thought, why not have some masterminds in my own business? So we do every month. Uh, we have a mastermind in our business. We're actually having ours uh, this uh, this evening. And what we'll do is we'll we'll bribe all the employees with free food. It's it's not a required event. They don't get to clock in, so they're they're, they're definitely showing us that they're committed and invested in the organization. But we never underestimate the value of free food, though. So we bribe them with a little free food. We have them come in. They share the things that they think that are working really well, and we recognize those strengths. And then they talk about the gaps and the voids and the inconsistencies in the business, and we strategize and brainstorm new solutions to that. And I had an employee a couple of years ago. Uh, sort of kind of having the same conversation we're having about millennials and Gen Z. And they were like, yeah, you know, our employees now, they're not really millennials and Gen Z and, you know, this whole mastermind thing and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I didn't invent the mastermind. (laughs) (laughs) The concept of the mastermind comes from Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which was written almost a hundred years ago. So that's the thing when we talk about and generalize like a a generation of talent, like, oh, they want their their work to have meaning and purpose and whatever. Okay, who doesn't want that? You know, oh, they want to share ideas and know that their opinions count and their perspective is heard and their their ideas matter. Who doesn't want that? You know what I'm saying? Like in a really true, strong organization where people love the organization, they believe in what you believe in, they want to grow with the company all these things work no matter how old you are. So that's why I've sort of taken all the lessons that we've learned here at Rockerbox. And like you said earlier, started five-star company culture, because now I get the opportunity to work with uh, small business owners, entrepreneurs, C-suite executives to help them take some of these same tools that work no matter what age you are, because it's really truly the study of human behavior in the workplace and showing people that, hey, these are our beliefs. These are our core values. This is our mission. This is our purpose. And we together can accomplish more than we can individually. And just creating some simple routines like huddles and masterminds that that help people take their business to, to new heights. Yeah. So uh, our, our guest today, again, Josh Cunningham uh, from Rockerbox and the podcast is Five Star Company Culture. Um, I mean, I love what you're saying here, Josh, around um, you know the mindsets and company culture and management styles. I mean, where where did you learn these from? I mean, who who were some of your influences? Was, was it early jobs? Was it from books or or, or or where? 
Yeah. So I, you know, I had the privilege of uh, growing up in the, in the nineties and getting to see the whole dot-com boom and bust. Uh, my father was a computer programmer. And so that I think kind of planted the entrepreneurial seed into my brain of like, wow, you can really go out there and create something that doesn't exist and help people solve problems. And so that's kind of where the entrepreneurial you know, seed was planted. And then throughout all my young professional experiences, I had the opportunity to work uh, at big companies, at small companies, for small business owners, for large business owners. Uh, but a lot of it comes from the first job that I ever had working at uh, Best Buy. When, you know, I was a computer nerd in the late 90s, early 2000s, really selling people their first home PC. Uh, and so I took the the geeky knowledge that I had as a computer nerd and helped translate that into benefits and, uh, for a lifestyle. And, you know, I just kind of naturally intuitively did that. And so I was like, oh, I, I guess I'm kind of good at sales. And uh, the thing that Best Buy did that was so successful that I've modeled a lot of is building systems and processes. It's the reason why, you know, you can walk into any Best Buy, whether you're on the East Coast or the West Coast, and there's a very similar feel because they have standard operating procedures. And so that was one of the lessons that I learned in working in big box retail. And then while I was in college, I had the opportunity of working for a, you know, a, a small land developer and property owner, and he was building out a whole you know, development of townhomes. And I could see that the ideas that I would have could immediately get put in place and, and become a reality. And so you know, obviously, if you're a Best Buy and you come up with an idea, it's going to be kind of hard to, for that to become a company-wide <laughs> policy. Right. But when you work for a small business owner, and you can actually provide feedback that gets heard and get valued and get put into place. Uh, again, that sort of fed my entrepreneurial spirit, but it also helped me realize like your employees can be a really great asset if you tap into their minds and and give them the freedom and the and empower them to build the business with you. So, you know, it was experiences through working for big companies and little companies, and then also mixed in between there. I had a lot of crappy jobs too, man. I mean, who, who hasn't had a crappy job, you know? So- right. What I say with those experiences is at least that teaches you the things that you don't want to have in your business. So when I was uh, 10 years ago, first starting the business before I'd ever made my first hire, uh, you know, I, I decided I was like, well, if I'm going to build this business, I'm going to be spending a majority of my life around these people. You know, if you, if you look at the amount of time that you share with people in your life, the first 18 years, you spend it most with your parents, you know, or if you have kids, the first 18 years of their life is when you spend the most time with them. But once you sort of become a young adult and go off into you know college or the workforce, the most amount of time you spend is with the people that you work with. And so I thought to myself, if I'm going to spend most of my life with these people, who do I want them to be like? You know, I don't I don't want to show up to work and and hate the environment that I'm in. I don't want to show up to work and and not like the people that I have to work with. So I just sat down and I I, I wrote down five values that were really important to me that were derived from my professional experience. And I said. These are the types of people that I want to build this empire with. And um, I defined it, you know, years before I'd ever even hired my first hire. And then um, they're the same values that we live by today. And uh, and we, we, we check and we reinforce and we recognize and make sure that they actually are the values that we live by. And so some of it intuition, some of it personal experience. Uh, I did get my degree in entrepreneurial business management from A&M, but I've learned way more outside of school than I ever did in school. Uh, and so, yeah, just a combination of all of it, you know, being a life learner and, uh, you know, working to learn and not necessarily to earn the old, uh, you know, rich dad, poor dad lesson there as well. Yeah. Um, and I really admire that you, you have that focus on core values. Um, you know, I'm wearing the shirt again today that I was wearing when I was on your podcast. I wear the shirt a lot when I'm, when I'm doing podcasts from uh, Kinexus. 
you know, the co-founders there, Greg and Matt, you know, did have a pretty strong focus on culture. A lot of mm-hmm. businesses, there's there's many other things to focus on, your customer needs and, and your product and your technology. And there, there's so many things to focus on. I can see where in, in some businesses, the culture and the values piece maybe takes a lower priority or falls through mm-hmm. the cracks. What I'm hearing from you today and 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 past conversation is that it seems like for for you, correct me if I'm wrong, that culture is at pretty much at the top of the list. Obviously, totally. customers and the market need and the fit of your product and services that matters. But um, yeah, I mean, it seems like culture is key. Hundred percent. It's at the top of the list, and it's really at the bottom of the of the empire. You know, it's the foundation. Right. I used to right. live in in downtown San Diego. And I'd look out my uh, window of my high-rise apartment every day and see them building skyscrapers. And you could always tell, like the telltale sign of how big of a building they were going to build was how deep the hole that they were going to dig. So they'd come through some empty lot or some old dilapidated property and they'd bulldoze it to the ground. And then they'd start digging and digging and digging and digging. And I've seen buildings that they spent over a year and a half digging into the ground and removing the dirt. And to me, that's that's the analogy of what company culture is. When you have a strong foundation, when you have that the, the right base, you can build you know your business to be miles and miles high. Uh, but if you start building something on on shaky ground, on quicksand or on some some muddy waters, then uh, it's only so f- high that it can go before something happens that disrupts it. I mean, there's di- disruption in life and in business all the time. We're going to get curveballs for the rest of our life. But it's not about what happens to you, but how you're able to respond to it. So if you're if you built your business on solid ground and there's some shakeup in the market or some pivot in the economy or something, it gives you that strong base, that strong foundation and that 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 uh, the identity of who you are. And then maybe, you know, the, the 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 service that you deliver or the problem that you solve shifts or changes or has to be repriced or repackaged or whatever. But you've got that base for success. Yeah. So maybe one other question, Josh, about um, you know culture and values. You know, on, on the company website, I'll link to this in the show notes. There's a section here of what I believe, and and the, and the fourth point here says, as you've articulated, not everything goes right the first time. Learn from your mistakes and be coachable, and you'll possess the mindset of a champion. So what what's one other thing that you do as a leader to help others, hopefully, share that same belief that they they can admit and learn from mistakes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that comes from being a servant leader. You know, a, a lot of the business owners and entrepreneurs I, I get to work with um, sometimes are their own worst enemy. They're getting in their own way. They're the bottleneck of decisions. They have to have their hands on everything. And, you know, to me, that's, you know, not the style. That's micromanagement. That's not leadership. Leadership is empowering your people to manage themselves and be confident in the decisions that they're going to make. And knowing that as a business owner, nobody's ever going to care about your business more than you do, right? That's that's a that's a hallucination. If you're going to expect people, because a lot of entrepreneurs and successful people were, were highly driven for 10 out of 10, 24-7, 365. And then we hire people and we get upset because they're not at your level of production or performance. And it's like, that's a hallucination. You have to be able to be okay with the fact that somebody else is not going to care about your business more than you do because it's your baby. You're the one who created it and be okay with empowering people to do, you know, 80% of what you're capable. If you have a team of people that are all delivering at 80% of what you're capable of, you're going to win all sorts of success. 
and so it's really, you know, leading by example and, and, and showing people that you're able to admit your own faults, uh, giving people the gift of vulnerability, you know, being able to fall on your sword, being able to let things go, being able to not get so fixated on some minute detail and, and act in a state of negative emotion. You know, the, the art of letting it go is one of the most important things that a leader can do. And so when you got to let stuff go, sometimes you got to admit, hey, man, I messed up here. This is the wrong decision. This is a mistake that I made. And when you lead by example and you show that that's acceptable within a human capital organization, you know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, we're still in the business of human capital acquisition. You know, you have to attract and retain top quality people to deliver the services and follow the systems and processes that you've laid out. And so being the leader, being the visionary, you've got to show people that vulnerability is a gift. You can give it, you could admit your faults. We can learn from people's mistakes. Uh, and then when we have an environment that allows that, then it just accelerates the growth and the learning of everybody. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's that's very well said, Josh. Um, so as we wrap up here, tell to everyone about the Five Star Company Culture podcast. I hope people will go and uh, and find that wherever they're listening to us here. But but give us kind of an overview of it. Certainly. So I mean, Rockerbox has been around for ten years, and all the stages and podcasts that I ever spoke on were here's how to convert online leads, sign up for Rockerbox. And a couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at an event and um, the guy who was hosting it was like, yeah, I want you to talk about your internet lead conversion. But I also, you know, I think it's really cool what you do with your company culture and everything. Cause you, you know, you get, you do the work that nobody wants to do and you hire a generation of talent that doesn't have a great reputation for being hard workers. And so I had, I gave two keynotes at that event and the first, you know, speech went as, as normally planned, you know, told everybody all the secrets and told them we can do it for them and drove some people to the back of the room to sign up for our services. But then the second talk that I gave, yeah, I didn't really have a call to action, but at the end I was swarmed with people. Uh, there was literally people in tears, like telling me like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. What you're doing, this opportunity that you're creating for these college students, these skills that you're building on this foundation for excellence, uh, you know, being core driven, core value driven and all your decisions, like this is phenomenal. And so I thought, okay, all right, I'm on to something here. <laughs> People need some more help when it comes to this core value stuff. Again, it's something that it just intuitively came to me through my experiences and, and through my knowledge. And uh, and I'm a part of a ton of different entrepreneurial groups. And I, I see, you know, business owners at the top feeling so lonely, having to always be the person to come up with all the decisions and, and manage everybody's, you know, uh, responsibilities. And I thought, well, you know, there's there's got to be a way I can I can serve others and uh, and give back to the entrepreneurial community. And uh, so, yeah, we just started a new podcast. It's called Five Star Company Culture. Uh, website's fivestarcompanyculture.com. And what I always say is culture is the key. You know, it's the key to unlocking that freedom. It's the key to unlocking more profits. Um, you know, I built the business and then I moved to San Diego and I lived in downtown San Diego for five years and managed the business from, from Zoom. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago when the whole world shut down, I bought a 35 foot motorhome and my wife and our one-year-old daughter went and traveled the country for four months, you know, while nothing else was happening. And we, we had the freedom to do that because we had established a rock solid five-star company culture. And that was contagious. Uh, over the last 10 years, we've hired and trained over 400 Texas A&M students to be inside sales assistants for real estate professionals. And it's, it's the same values. It's the same mentality. It's the same winning effort that we're putting forth. So uh, again, the five-star company culture is all about helping other business uh, owners, entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, you know, learn about some of the insights of 
the, the few things that you can do that you can make some minor adjustments to your rituals that will generate huge positive results in your business. And so now I feel this calling to uh, serve the business community and, and in another way other than just following up with their leads. Yeah. And uh, so that's what five star company culture is all about. Well, I hope people will check it out and uh, I'll put links to everything in the show notes, Rockerbox and the podcast and and all. I took a quick peek at um, the website there, Five Star Company Culture. And who do I see right away? You shaking hands with Kevin Harrington. That's right. Who was guest in, who was my guest in uh, episode one of this podcast. Oh, wow. That's what, awesome. What was your Kevin Harrington connection? Yeah. So uh, one of my marketing coaches does a lot of business with Kevin Harrington and uh, I saw him speaking at an event and, you know, was able to have an opportunity to do an interview with him. And so that interview is actually about uh, some of the the different things that we're doing with our company culture at Rockerbox. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was an awesome opportunity. He's a super cool guy, incredibly savvy, serial entrepreneur till the day he dies. You know, yeah. he's got his hands on a lot of different stuff, but uh, yeah, it's been a p- pleasure getting to know him over the last couple of years. Yeah. And I'll give a shout out. This podcast uh, would not exist, I think, without Kevin Harrington agreeing. You have to have someone to agree to do that first episode. And uh, he set such a good example, as as you put it, Josh, being vulnerable and sharing a story of a mistake that he doesn't have to share. But Mm -hmm. I appreciate it uh, when he did that. I appreciate you, Josh, for um, doing the same here today. Yeah, certainly. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure getting to chat with you, Mark. Yeah. So again, Josh Harrington, Josh Harrington. No, he's not <laughs> Kevin Harrington's uh, relative. Josh, my mistake. Josh Cunningham, um, fivestarcompanyculture.com. Check out the podcast. Go to Rockerbox. Um, the website, the spelling will be in the show notes. Um, it, it's it's the uh, the marketing thing of a couple missing letters. R-O-K-R-B-O-X, right? That's right. I get to okay. spell that for the rest of my life. So, yeah. <laughs> but if you Google it, we got all the all the search results. So R-O-K-R-B-O-X.com. Well done. All right. Well, Josh, hey, thank you for being a guest here today. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you again. It's been a pleasure, Mark. Thanks again to Josh Cunningham for being our guest today. To learn more about him, his podcast, his company, and more, look in the show notes or go to markgraben.com slash mistake two four four. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.